You are listening to the sermon podcast of Covenant Presbyterian Church. We are a community in Madison, Wisconsin, who gathers to worship, to learn, to serve, and to grow together in God's love. Please visit us online at www.covenantmadison.org, where you can find information about Covenant Ministries, as well as links to our online worship services and sermon podcasts. Several times this week, I've had moments where I should have lowered the shade in my office or put on sunglasses in my car, but I just suffered a little instead with the brightness of it all because the sunshine has been so wonderful. We've been very lucky the last several days. And light has that kind of effect on things. Not just the warmth of the sun or even the way it reflects through glass, but how it can even feel internally and lift us. A few years back, Covenant friend Nancy Enderly posted this photo of a vase with light shining through it. It was a beautiful glimmer moment. Are you familiar with glimmer moments? They're like the opposite of a trigger. Instead of something that catches you in a negative way, a glimmer catches us in a breathtaking way. It's a moment of wonder and delight. For comparison, I requested a second photo without any light shining in that particular spot. It's not quite the same, is it? It's a dramatic difference. Light transfigures everything. Our scripture message this morning is this times a bajillion. It's the story of Jesus being transformed by light, transfigured before the disciples in Mark chapter 9, verses 2 through 9. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, his clothes becoming dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus, And then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it it is good for us to be here. Let us us make three dwellings, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them to tell no one about what they had seen until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. A little bit of a moment of confession. The scripture reading from the Gospel of Mark is slightly sanitized, today. Not that the words were changed. What was on the screen is the NRSV, which is in your pew Bible. It's the before and after that were sanitized, the prologue and the epilogue. Because while we get a mountaintop experience this morning, it is bookended by death. Less than a week prior to this particular hike, Jesus was telling his disciples how he must undergo great suffering. 
be rejected by the spiritual leaders of the day, be killed, and then rise again in three days. This is that famous passage where Peter gets called Satan by Jesus. He listens in horror to his rabbi talking about his death and then takes Jesus aside and he gives him a few pointers on public speaking. Let's not, let's not talk about that kind of stuff, Jesus. And we miss all that by jumping in where we do in chapter 9. We miss it all over again in the epilogue, which is where the disciples are pondering among themselves why Jesus is once again talking about his death, about dying and rising. And it's no wonder with all these mysteries floating around their heads that when Jesus suggests that they head out for a hike, they welcome the chance for a change of pace. The hike itself offers some retreat into solitude, away from the crowds, for the disciples, away from this confusion. And it's into the altitude, a place, I mean, we know it's not really this, but it feels closer to the heavens, closer to God. And we don't know how long they hiked or how high. What we do know is that all of a sudden Jesus is transfigured, transformed into a radiant, glowing being with his clothes and his face shining like the sun. We just finished Exodus, and that shining is like when Moses glows after coming down Mount Sinai the second time, after being in God's presence, and remember, he had to put a veil over his face. He was so bright. A theophany has occurred, that favorite word of mine, a brush with the Almighty. Like the story of Samuel hearing his name in the middle of the night and answering, speak, O Lord, for your servant is listening. Or the dove that descended at Jesus' baptism, these times where God's presence breaks into the ordinary to make the whole experience shimmer. This is what happens on that mountain. Jesus' glow reflects creator God's glorious light, and it only comes from that closeness with the Almighty. Jesus glows with the purity and glory of God as if it is reflecting right off of him. And then Moses and Elijah enter the scene. It's a weird story, right? From our perspective, it is Jesus, the Son of God, our Savior and Lord, and two old guys from the Old Testament. Jesus with Moses and Elijah. But Peter, James, and John, they're good Jewish boys, and they are thinking, our teacher, our ordinary rabbi, is hanging out with two of the biggest big shots we can imagine. Jesus with Moses and Elijah. Their small town rabbi was having a chat with the two prominent figures of their religious heritage as Jews. Moses was the receiver and the clearest representative of the law, as we read in Exodus recently. And Elijah, so important that he was carried off to heaven in a whirlwind, represented the whole history of the prophets. It's no wonder the disciples are confused, afraid. It's no wonder that Peter is not really sure how to respond. 
So instead, he responds with action. When theophanies happen, sometimes it's a comfort, like a visitation, but sometimes it's a shock. Sometimes it's so confusing, we don't know what to do. So like Peter, we stumble out some sort of instructions or create some sort of a plan to make some sort of a monument instead of just sitting in the moment. For Peter, this was the familiarity of dwellings, of tents or tabernacles of sorts, creating structures which would help solidify this important moment that was before them. Instead, God's voice comes from the sky. This is my beloved, my son. Listen to him. The Reverend Linda Kuhn, a friend and honorably retired pastor in this presbytery, has a special motto that she uses when she teaches. Don't just do something. Stand there. Too often, in the face of something new or something out of the ordinary, we rush to take action. But listening involves stillness, being present, paying acute attention to the words, the vibe, the body language of the one to whom we are listening. When we listen to others, we focus, we set aside our technology, we make eye contact, and we pay attention. When we listen to Jesus, we are called to a worshipful time of paying attention. Be still, God says through the psalmist, and know that I am God. Don't just do something. Stand there. Sit there. Be there. Be attentive to Jesus in prayer time, in worship, in the face of those you meet. That's where we're headed as a congregation this Lent, which, as Pastor Charlie noted, begins with worship at 7 p.m. here on Wednesday, with Ash Wednesday, the imposition of ashes marking us literally for the ways that we will sit in Lent and have that restart with God, paying closer attention in our faith. Our upcoming theme for Lent is the ways that we can be more fully present to God, practices that make us better disciples, better, better followers, to better reflect that light. Practices such as fasting, praying, listening, simplifying, unplugging. Our third practice, and a practice which uh, is part of almost all spiritual practices and spiritual disciplines, is God's call in the midst of this theophany. Listen to Jesus. Be present to where God is at work. Close encounters with God are happening. Jesus is speaking. Pay attention. Listen. Transfiguration Sunday is this annual doorway that leads us from the light of epiphany to the reflective darkness that is Lent. It's the Sunday that we set aside to remember this remarkable event when Jesus climbs the mountain with these few chosen disciples and is transfigured before them. 
But for as amazing of a story as this is, as mystical and awe-inspiring, it is not simply some sort of representation of a sunshiny faith. It is a representation of the ways God mysteriously interacts with the world. Faith communities are one of the few places where we actually have the opportunity to bravely walk into a recognition of the ways that we are dying and rising in our lives, to walk into the mystery, to walk into the unknown. Most things around us promise us that we will walk into something amazing, the most magical place on earth, a one-of-a-kind adventure, places where the sun is always shining. But faith invites us to walk into difficulty and struggle, like Jesus speaking openly about his impending death, because it is only in death and through death that we can experience resurrection. It is in darkness that we fully appreciate and remember the light. Mountaintops are only moments descending back into the valley, into the work of faith is our day-to-day call. Maybe that's why God shows up so brilliantly on the mountain, because of what is to come. These theophanies, these are not things that happen by our work. They are things that happen because of God's glory. And they carry us through, walking through, the valley of the shadow of death that each of us will inevitably walk through at some point in our lives. They carry us through the sleeves rolled up work of how we live our faith every day. The brilliant glimmer of the mountaintop experiences, or maybe even those ordinary times that we know God's presence. Things like that message in a dream, or that nudge in our prayer time, or the moment of beauty in nature. These are things that help buoy us in the work of justice, and in the action of love. Light transfigures everything. When Nancy posted this a few years ago, she reflected, I came downstairs as the sun caught this vase and scattered shapes of light. It called out to me as a metaphor for what God calls us to do with the light we are given. Reflect, shine, and leave a mark on someone that needs love. When we do experience light, sometimes in the form of a beautiful sight or sometimes through enlightenment or a dawning, it is a gift from God. And these gifts, these dazzling moments, they encourage us. They help us cope when there is confusion or pain, death or despair. We know that life is not all sunshine. And thanks be to God that our faith does not in any way ask us to act as if life is perfection. Our faith helps us to live into whatever comes our way with endurance and hope. Because when we pay attention to God at work in the world, our eyes and our minds are enlightened 
they are given this glory and they're open to new possibilities. When we listen to Jesus, when we stay present to God, when we remember those times that God's light shined brightly in our lives, we are carried through. We're headed into Lent. We're about to be reminded of the full depth of human mortality, that we are dust, and to dust we shall return. And we are about to remember and be reminded of the full effects of sin, of the ways that power can distort humankind to even killing God Almighty in Jesus. We are about to bravely go forward into the valley. But we will never forget that light. We will never forget that wherever we go or whatever we go through, God is present and with us, teaching us if we will listen. Thanks be to God. Amen.